Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone, to a late-night edition of the Theology Central Podcast. Should I say that? Welcome, everyone. It is Friday, April the 29th, 2022. It is currently 9.55 p.m. Central Time. Is that a, is that a late-night episode? It does 9.55 p.m. Central Time. Does that... Does that does that qualify for a late night episode? I, I don't know. You can make that determination. But welcome, everyone. Again, it is Friday, April the 29th, 2022, 9.50. It's now 9.56 p.m. Central Time. I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. And wherever you may be, whenever you may be listening, however you may be listening, thank you so very much. We greatly appreciate it. We know you have a million things you could be listening to, and uh, we are glad that you take some time out to listen to us today. Now, this is going to be an interesting broadcast, and I've got to make sure I offer kind of a warning here, all right? Here in a minute, I'm going to be playing the audio of a sermon that I listened to today. The whole way, the whole reason this episode exists is because earlier today, I was doing some other things, and I stopped what I was doing, I grabbed my iPad, went to the Sermons 2.0 app, went to my feed, right? All of the different broadcasters I subscribe to. I started scrolling through my feed. I'm like, oh, there, there is a sermon that looks possibly interested, interesting. I hit play. I grabbed my Bible. I grabbed a notebook and I started listening. And for some weird reason, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying, and this is this is kind of the warning, this is kind of the, I want to make sure everyone understands this. I am not saying that the sermon I was listening to was putting forth this idea, promoting this idea, or teaching this idea, but for some weird reason, as I was listening, this idea came to my mind. I'm not going to tell you what that idea is. Now, depending on where you're listening to me at, if you're listening to me on the Spreaker app, you know what idea I'm talking about because you already see the title. If you're not listening to me live and you're listening to me at a later time on a different podcast app, Pandora, Amazon Music, wherever, you see the title so you already know what idea I'm referring to. But for those who are listening on other platforms this evening, you don't see the title. So you have no idea which idea I'm talking about. So I'm really, I, I'm trying to build the suspense. I guess what I'm trying to do is build the suspense, but as is it, in some ways, it's self-defeating because some people already know what idea I'm talking about. But there is an idea that came to my mind. Again, I am not saying that's what this sermon was promoting. I'm not saying that the people preaching, the, the person preaching the sermon would believe this idea, may actually condemn the idea. It's just what came to my mind. So I'm going to use some of the sermon to get to this idea and Hopefully, it will be beneficial to you. So, so let's, let's start this way. If you were to get 100 people together, just say 100 random people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, and you were to ask them to describe what is Christianity, how many people do you think would describe Christianity basically as nothing more than a series of do's and don'ts. They would describe Christianity basically as a system of rules of what you can and cannot do. For whatever reason, 
Okay, but once again, I have this iPad over here where Siri keeps. I don't know. Hey, hang on. Now, we're, this is this is live, but we're going to do this. So you just keep listening, keep listening. Stay right there. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to do this live on the air because I am tired of this. I do not know why there's an iPad that sit that sits across the room from me up here in my makeshift podcast studio. I have I have an iPad sitting here right next to me that I use, and then there's an older one sitting across the room. And no matter what I say, at some point, Siri comes on and starts <laughs> talking to me. So there, I don't even know what Siri was talking, was, was talking about something. So I'm going to go grab that iPad. I know, I know this is not very professional, but just stay right there. Keep listening. I'm right here. Right here. I'm going to grab, grab this iPad. I'm going to unplug it. Okay, here we go. All right, this this iPad is is an older iPad. It's really bizarre that no matter what I talk about, just Siri just comes on and just starts randomly just talking. It's it's bizarre. I got to see how can I hear Siri. I'm turning Siri off. Okay, I am I'm ending. Uh, I'm earing. I'm I'm in, I'm ending Siri here. There we go. There. Siri is gone. Okay, that is bizarre. Um, I'm going to test it. I'm going to test it, everyone. Hey, Siri. Okay. Siri here. Let me know if I can help. Okay, that's on the, on the correct iPad. That's on the correct iPad. <laughs> All right, there we go. So on the correct iPad, Siri is working correctly. On the old iPad, it's been turned off, which was working. It was just really weird. Earlier today, we were... We were talking, I think uh, it, uh, we were in the book of James and just all of a sudden out of the blue, the, the iPad across the room, Siri started quoting parts of the book of James. It was really bizarre. So that has been turned off. So we set that aside. All right. Now, again, back to my question. That, that was weird. That was really weird. Uh, it just randomly just over there just talking. I don't even know what she was talking about. It was really, really, really weird. But OK, we've resolved that con- that once and for all. Now, back to this very important subject, okay? That, that's irritating that this has been messed up, but that's okay. We're going to get back to it. If you were to take 100 people, put them in a room, and say, okay, everyone, describe Christianity. How many would simply describe it as a list, uh, basically a system of do's and don'ts and of rules. Well, Christianity, they may refer to it as a religion. They may say something about God, but it would basically that, you know, Christianity is a religion that says you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do this, and you do this, and you do that, and do that. And those, they, it's sinners. And, and even if, even maybe, maybe they're the focus of their explanation of what Christianity is, maybe it's not it's completely focused on the rules, but how many times would rules and do's and don'ts be a part of it? And if that is the if that is the case, do you think that's problematic? And do you think part of the reason they do so is because many cases all they hear in church and here in sermons is do this, don't do this, 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 do this, don't do this. And and somehow the church has given the impression that Christianity is nothing more than a system of rules. Do you think that is a problem? Now, some of you may know, no, it's a good thing that they believe that. But is it? Is it? So 
we're going to go to this sermon. Now, I think you're getting an idea of where we're going to go. But for some weird reason, when I heard this sermon today, I didn't make it very far. That's what immediately came to my mind. Do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts. That's what Christianity is. So, so let's, we'll take this apart and hopefully this will be beneficial. Are you ready? I apologize for Siri rudely interrupting this live broadcast. I have no idea what was going on, but she has been decommissioned. She has been turned off. Siri can no longer interrupt my podcast. <laughs> okay, that is so, I'm just, I'm just sitting here hearing a voice and I'm like, I'm trying to talk to you and I'm hearing this voice. I'm like, who is talking? And then I all of a sudden I realized that's Siri over there just blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So that, uh, the, there you go. Are you ready? So we're going to go to this sermon. This sermon comes to us from Pensacola Christian College. This is a part of Pensacola Christian College. If you have the Sermons 2.0 app, it's one of the broadcasters I subscribe to because I love subscribing to seminaries and Bible colleges because it kind of tells me what the next generation is being taught, what they're learning in Bible college and in seminary, which gives me an idea of maybe where Christianity is going. So that's one of the reasons I tell everyone on Sermons 2.0, just subscribe to every Bible college, every seminary, every Bible institute you can find because I think, it's, I think it's fascinating to listen to. But this one is Pensacola Christian College. I don't know how, I don't know how influential Pensacola Christian College is in 2022. During the 1990s, I heard a lot of talk about Pensacola Christian College, especially within the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement, Pensacola, Pensacola, Pensacola. Um, it, it was a uh, it was a common destination that many independent fundamental Baptist parents wanted their kids to go to college. And for many young people, they wanted to go to college at Pensacola Christian College. I, I heard all kinds of different things about it, good, bad. Maybe, I, if I remember correctly, a lot of rules associated with going to Pensacola Christian College. A lot of rules associated, which uh, will fit in perfectly with what we're going to be talking about. So are you ready? I apologize for their interruptions, but here we go. Chapel service, Pensacola Christian College. I do not have the date, but it was this month. Let's listen. Now, remember, I am not claiming that this sermon is promoting the idea that Christianity is nothing more than a system of rules and of do's and don'ts. I'm just playing this for you because it was listening to this that got me thinking about this other subject. So I'm just using this to get to the subject I want to. I'm not claiming that that's what they're promoting. And maybe you would not have ever thought of the same thing, but I just want you to hear it because, well, I think it, it just, it sets up the whole scene and it, it'll get us to where we need to go. Are you ready? Here we go. The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. All right, so it's the PCC Chapel Podcast. We technically could have done this episode on our series 
uh, Christian podcast spotlight, where I turn the spotlight on different Christian podcasts that I think you should subscribe to. But I've I've already made it very clear that if you have the Sermons 2.0 app, I think you should go through and find every Bible college, every seminary, every Bible institute, and subscribe to it. Because as I've already said, I think this allows us to see what what the new generation is learning in Bible college and seminary, which is going to tell us the direction of the church. So I find it fascinating, I, and that's my my feed on Sermons 2.0 app is made up of, of, of basically lots of, of Christian colleges and seminaries. So it, uh, the, the Pensacola Christian Chapel podcast, the PCC podcast, it's, I think it's available on most podcasting apps as well, but if you use the Sermons 2.0 app, it's just easy to find. I don't know if it's available on the Edify Christian Podcast app. Um, I, I didn't go look everything up prior to this because I was just focusing on the Sermons 2.0 app. But the Sermons 2.0 app is where I found it today. And again, this was somewhere this month. And you already get an idea what the podcast is about. Chapel service. And chapel service is there for the students to come for a time of meditating on God's word, a time of encouragement, but what are they getting in chapel? What are they getting? Do you think, now I'm just going to now take our original question about how people would define Christianity as possibly being nothing more than a bunch of do's and don'ts. Do you think that most Christians, most Christian young people who go to a Christian college and attend chapel on a regular and consistent basis, so you think of all the Christians who go to a chapel service, how many do you think would walk out at chapel service and all they and they tell you what did you get from chapel they they would tell you they get a lot of, of rules a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing they should be doing rules 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 how much and, and you could even broaden it beyond chapel how many people who think that when they go to church all they get in a sermon is a list of do's and don'ts and what they should and shouldn't be doing now, again, some of you may be saying, amen, that's what they should get. They should be told, you're doing this, you can't do this, don't do this. They should be because the, the church is immoral and ungodly and worldly and, and they need to be rebuked. And, and I, I, I understand that. But again, what are the, uh, let me ask another question. What, are the, what is the negative consequence of Christianity being reduced to simply a system of do's and don'ts? Just a system of right and wrong. Now, I'm not again, I'm not saying Pensacola Christian College promotes that idea. I'm just saying that these are some of the thoughts that started coming to my mind. In fact, as soon as I I heard that, you know, that that little intro, I'm like, I wonder my my initial thought was I wonder I wonder how much spiritual benefit is actually obtained to students at a Christian college by attending chapel. And many Christian colleges, it's mandatory. They have to be at chapel. They have to be there. So if they have to be there, I wonder if that does that. Now, you may, there may be some uh, Christian colleges where you, you're not mandated to go to chapel. There may be some seminaries. There may be some that you're not. But most, I think you're, 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 it's mandatory. So I wonder, I wonder how much spiritual benefit is actually obtained or how much spiritual growth actually occurs in mandatory chapel. And I wonder when, when it's all said and done, they would say, you know, four years, I went to four years of chapel, and all I got was a bunch of do's and don'ts. I, want, and I know someone may not word it that way, but I wonder if, if, 
if that's, I wonder what's the major emphasis of most sermons preached in chapel services. See, all kinds of questions we could ask. All right, but here we go. Let's continue. It doesn't seem that long ago that I was sitting in the same seat that you're sitting in here today. And I thought yesterday a little bit about this idea of if I could change anything, what would that be? If, if there was something that, that would help me into the future, if there was some bit of advice, if there were some life principles that, that if I could go back 20 plus years and say, listen, you're going to need to know these things, then I think the things I want to share here this morning for the next few moments might be just those kinds of, of nuggets or some truth. I want to share a few life principles with you here this morning. And so if you'll take your Bible. Okay, so at this point when I was listening today, I was like, okay, so they're going to chapel and they're going to get life principles. And I started thinking, okay, principles. They're going to be given things that they should be doing. In other words, some do's and don'ts. And I started thinking, I wonder if this is the way many people just perceive Christianity. But he's, he's going to give us a life. Let's, let's listen to at least the first life, life principle. And uh, I think it's from the book of Daniel. And you'll, you'll see where we go here. Daniel chapter 1, I want you to notice verse number 8 for a moment. We know this verse well. The Bible says, but Daniel purposed... In his heart, that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I love the beginning of that verse. The Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Okay, now, slight, slight detour. Not too much. We're just gonna we're just gonna exit off the highway, get on the access road just a little bit, and then we'll get right back on the on ramp. Okay, so stay with me. I'm still wanting you to think about obviously this idea of Christianity being reduced to a list of do's and don'ts. All right, I, I want you to think about that, but just take a slight detour here. But Daniel, this is Daniel chapter one, verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That sounds so good, doesn't it? It does. I, I, I almost wish that this was just making a dogmatic declaration of truth of how the Christian life is lived and how to have victory and how to always avoid any defilement in one's spiritual life. I wish this was the answer. I wish this was the smoking gun. I wish this was the answer to the entire mystery of what is required to live a Christian life without sin, without corruption, without defilement. What is the secret? And the secret is as simple as, drum roll, please. Purpose in your heart. Oh, I wish that was so. I wish that's all that was required for me. Just purpose in my heart. Now, here, here's, here's a very, now I know I've been asking lots of questions, but that's, that's what I wanted to do this evening. I want to just ask you a lot of questions because when I was listening today, I just, that's how, whenever I listen to sermons or anything, I usually have, I've got one question after another question. My mind just boom, 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 hundreds of questions, all right? 
I love, I love questions. I love thinking about them. So we've been asking this question. Is Christianity, in the minds of many people, nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts? And so now we can add to that, can Christianity, can the victorious Christian life be accomplished simply by you purposing in your heart that you will not be defiled, that you will not defile yourself? Now, there's some whose theology and Christianity will say, amen, absolutely true. You don't, you purpose, you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it because you have the power not to do it, therefore you can do it, right? Now, usually they, they will, they will pro- proclaim that loudly and boldly, and then at some point they'll back away because they'll say, all you have to do is purpose it, you have the power not to do it, you can do it, you can do it, but then at some point they'll say, but you're still going to sin and you can't be perfect. Well, wait a minute, all right? Uh, Okay, yes. Okay, someone someone is listening this evening. That's good. Someone just said, just purpose your heart. This idea makes me weary. I have tried and tried to purpose myself. Exactly. Okay, so someone is, they, they've already been down this road. But for many, I mean, I wish it was true. I wish I could just purpose in my heart to never sin again. But see, many will say, well, you can do that. You can purpose in your heart and you can stop sinning. You have the power. But then they always hedge their bet and say, well, you can't do it perfectly. Well, if I can't do it perfectly, then that means there's a limit to what I can simply purpose and what that will accomplish. So, of course, he points this out to these college students. Hey, college students, if you'll just purpose in your heart, man, that's the secret to the Christian life. Now, again, I don't know what, I don't know how much power he believes me purposing in my heart, how far that can get me in my Christian life, but I know this, I can purpose in my heart every single day, but you know what I'm going to discover? All of my purposing, all of me purposing in my heart. In fact, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's just uh, look up that word. Let's go to Daniel. I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible app. Because I don't know the top of my head what the Hebrew word here is. I don't know the top of my head exactly how it's defined even here. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1. All right. Okay. Uh, Purposed. The Hebrew word here is, the Hebrew word is this. I'm making sure I've got the right one. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, Do I have the right word? I'm going to go back here. I'm going to make sure because I'm looking at it and I'm like, are we sure that's the right word? I'm going back to the interlinear. Purposed. All right. Purposed. Here we go. It is this Hebrew word. Strong's H7760. Soon. Soon. Okay. Okay. We'll just stop right there. Soon. Soon. There's another another pronunciation, but we'll just go assume right now. Okay. Now it's used 585 times. 585 times in the King James. It's uh, what's interesting is it it translates. Uh, it's translated as put, p-u-t, make, set, lay, appoint, give, set up, consider, turn. Brought, ordain, place, take, shoe, regard, mark, disposed, care. It's used a lot of different ways. Strong's definition is it's. I love this. It's used in a great variety 
of applications. Okay, well, that's not helpful. Uh, literal or figurative, okay, that's not helpful. Uh, any wise, appoint, bring, call, care, cast, just a host of different ways. Um, not good. If we look at the outline, no, I could read all of those, but I mean, it's just used so many different ways that it's not like, ooh, this, this gives me a, a clear you know, understanding. The outline of biblical usage is to put, place, set, appoint, make, to put, set, lay, put, or lay upon, to set, direct, direct towards, to extend, to set, ordain, to set, station, to make, make for. N- n- nothing there that really like, mm, that's not super helpful. So let's do this. Let's do this. I'm going to go look up Daniel. One, eight. Let's look up all the English translations and see if they all say purposed. All right, Daniel one eight. But Daniel resolved. Uh, New Living. But Daniel was determined. Uh, ESV. But Daniel resolved. Berean study. But Daniel made up his mind. King James. Daniel purposed in his heart. New King James, purposed in his heart. New American, made up his mind. The Amplified, but Daniel made up his mind. So it's this idea that he just he just decided. Uh, so someone just said in chat, so basically he decided not to do it, and he didn't. Doesn't uh, have to be over-applied to us today or over-dramatized. That's what I'm wondering. Okay, that, that's a good point. So we could ask ourselves this question. First and foremost... Let's be honest, this is a historical narrative. So first and foremost, it's simply descriptive. It's not necessarily prescriptive that this is the key to the Christian life. I think we have to understand. I'm not saying it's not applicable in some way, shape, or form, but I think we have to understand this is just describing what Daniel did. But let me make it very clear. Here's the theological reality that we cannot get around, right? The theological reality is this. You can purpose, you can make up your mind every single day that you're not going to sin, but you are going to sin because you have a sinful nature. You can make up your mind. You can be as determined as you can be. You can be. You can purpose in your heart with as much sincerity as you can find. But guess what? That will not eradicate the old man. That will not eradicate the old nature. Therefore, you cannot just purpose in your heart to stop sinning and be perfect because it's impossible. Now, some say that's a defeatist attitude, but then you have to, if you're going to say that's a defeatist attitude and condemn that, you have to believe in the eradication of the old man. And I know the Apostle Paul said the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing. So I will say that, yes, I do believe that we should purpose in our heart, that we should determine constantly to do everything we can to do the right thing. I do believe we should do that, but we should realize there's a limit. Clearly, it can't lead us to perfection, so there's a limit to it. If we don't emphasize the reality of that limitation, you're going to find some people extremely discouraged and burned out and think this Christian thing doesn't work. And you're going to live a life in total defeat and maybe in total shame, not understanding why all of your determination constantly leads to defeat and failure. I think, I think there's a problem. But, but he, 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 that's what I was thinking today when I saw that. I mean, I wish, I wish this was the answer. Man, if I just purposed in my heart, if I just purposed in my heart, I'd have it all figured out. I wish that was true, but 
It's just not too many years of living as a Christian to just realize I've purposed in my heart a billion times to stop sinning. And well, I still sin and I still fall short. So, all right, let, let's continue. Now, that that's kind of a little detour. Let's get back on the highway. Remember, what's our focus? Do some people reduce Christianity in their minds to simply a list of do's and don'ts? Just, just stay with me. Here we go. Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity once again to look at your word. I pray that you'd help us. Father, I, I pray that we'd see a few life principles today that, that we could apply, things we can do, so that, Father, that when we finish our course, no matter how many years you give us here to minister to others and to serve you, that we would be glad, that we would have been faithful. So, Father, bless these next few moments that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, now there's the prayer. Two things in that prayer. Things that we can do. The affirmative, I can do it. You can do it. So, hey, Lord, uh, we're going to look at these principles that we can do so that in the end, we can, we'll end up saying we were faithful. Now, this makes the entire Christian life of here's the, here's the principles. You can, and if you do, you'll be declared faithful at the end. I want to put forth a Christianity that says I cannot, but I will still be found faithful because Christ can, Christ did, and in him, I am faithful well done, good and faithful servant, because Christ is the good and faithful servant. Well done. It is finished. He did it. He accomplished it. Because no matter how faithful I may be, I could never be declared to be faithful because there's always some level of unfaithfulness in my thinking, in my hearts, in my desire, in my heart, in my desires, in my motivations. I don't believe that, that, that we always paint this picture that, hey, you want, you want, when you get to the end, you want to hear good, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, wait a minute. How could it ever be good and faithful because I'm never good and I'm never faithful in me because there's always some level of unfaithfulness in me. Remember, if we are guilty of one point of the law, if we break one point of the law, we're guilty of all the law. So I live my life continually guilty of all of God's law because there's always some point of the law that I'm not faithful too. So if it's just this weird idea that no, look, here's the rules. Here's the rule. Do it. And you and so I'm a never-ending, I'm, I'm always chasing this mythical idea that when I stand before God, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because of what I do. I I reject that idea. I will hear good, well done, good and faithful servant because I am in Christ. And his righteousness and obedience has been imputed to me. That is what I think is so important. All right. I'm looking here. Okay. All right. I thought for a second that uh, that old iPad Siri was getting ready to start talking to me. And I was getting ready to show you my wonderful spirit when I started smashing it into a million pieces. Okay. But no, it's good. So are you ready? Now let's, so we've kind of got the introduction. We've got the prayer. Let's go a little further, right? Just a little further. We're not going to make it too far down the road in, in reviewing the sermon because this is not really about reviewing the sermon. I just want to get you to the point where 
my mind started thinking about all of these things, which started right at the beginning of the sermon. Okay, but it, it led to this concept. You'll see where we're going to go. Just stay with me just a little bit longer. All right, here we go. Somebody said this years ago, I read this quote. Someone said, some men are giants in their daydreams only. In other words, there are some individuals that that have the ability to picture themselves in life's greatest moments. In our own minds, we think that if if I were on the battlefield that day, if I were there near the Valley of Elah, if I heard Goliath begin to shout toward the people of Israel, I would have been one that would have stood. I would have been right there with David. I could see myself going out with David to fight the giant. A lot of us like to picture ourselves in Elijah's shoes on the top of Mount Carmel. All of the false prophets of Baal are there and we kind of picture ourselves standing there and we would love to imagine that we would be as Elijah was, that, that we would call down fire from heaven. Or maybe Moses as he, as he lifts up his arms there at the Red Sea. Men daydream about the monumental moments of life. I have to interrupt and laugh because someone in chat is like, no, I would have ran for my life. Okay. I, I do think I, I can't speak for everyone. And I don't know if this is a man woman thing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, because that, that sometimes just creates like stereotypes that men always think this way and women always think that way. I'm not a big fan of that concept because men and women are all individuals and they're different. I think that at least sometimes as a man, or I forget, I won't even say as a man. I, I will say as a young Christian, let me, let me state it that way. I think there were plenty of times as a young Christian when I would read about David or uh, Elijah or, or whatever the situation was, I'd be like, man, yeah, I, I could, I, there was a part of me that believed I could, I would, I would stand. I would be like, all you cowards, come on, Goliath, me and you, right? I'd be like, all you false prophets, watch my God. Like I, that in my mind, yeah, I, I could be the hero of the story. I, I could be the hero of the story. And if you think about it, this is important. I think a lot of Sunday school, especially for children, these stories are taught in such a way where it's like, hey, here's this story. See how wonderful these people were? See how courageous Daniel was? See how faithful this person was? See how godly this person was? See how bold this person was? And we turn these people into heroes. And the idea is you need to grow up and be like Daniel, be like Moses, be like David. Now, of course, we only say be like them in the good ways, but it's almost that these people are we, we teach this in a way where we elevate the individual and we say, be like that. In other words, what gets elevated in these stories is not God, but the individual and their actions. They almost become like superheroes. They almost become like a, a comic book hero, a comic book character, a character in a movie, a character in a and a story. Now, again, this would be interesting how kids who are raised in church, how they perceive these stories. Like, well, so what did you get from the story? And I think what they typically get is, well, this guy is good and I need to be like him. 
He's good, and I need to be like him. Now, what it seems he's getting ready to do in this sermon is a lot of people daydream about this, but they're not actually that in practice. And my question is, I wonder why we're not quite like that in practice. Because in many cases, we reduce these men to these one wonderful heroic events, but we quickly forget that these men who were so heroic and point A wasn't so heroic, weren't so godly, wasn't so victorious, and point B. But for that one sermon, for that one Sunday school lesson, we elevate these men as like, be like them. Now, I'm not saying we can't learn from them. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be challenged by them. I'm not saying we shouldn't be encouraged by them. But I think sometimes we we miss God. We so elevate the individual that we block out God. And didn't we create like, So we take these stories, and guess what these stories become? Be like that. Be like that. And when they do something bad, don't be like that. Reducing, again, a lot of preaching and teaching to rules. Let's see what he does with this. But here's what Daniel understood in Daniel chapter 1. It is not the monumental moments that define a man. It is the small and the private moments that prepares a young man or a young woman for ministry. The Bible says about Daniel that he purposed in his heart. He had been taken captive and and the king was going to make him an example. And he was going to be able to have influence and leadership over other young men. And there might have been people there saying, Daniel, we're in a new culture, we're in a different place. It doesn't matter anymore. Don't do what you used to do. It's okay. Just stop serving the God that you've always served. You don't have to do what you've always done before. And yet the Bible says that Daniel chose when nobody saw him, when nobody knew, when when no one really knew what was going on. And I want to talk to you for just a moment here today about making some decisions in your heart today. The small and the private moments of your life so that God can prepare you for a lifetime of service. Would you notice this first of all today? I believe this principle is going to last for your lifetime and it's simply this and you need to understand it. There is no substitute for integrity. Okay, so so he wants to put, hey, Daniel chose. Now I want you to choose this morning to take these principles I'm going to give you and follow these principles because if you do so, they will prepare you for a life of service. So it's going to come down to do. And what's the first principle? There is no substitute for a life of integrity. You choose integrity. You choose integrity. Choose it. Choose integrity. Then you'll be prepared for a life of service. Now, I'm not in any way denying the importance of integrity at all. It would be interesting to to do a a quick Bible study exercise on integrity. And what does the Bible say about it? Does the Bible give a definition of integrity? What is it? But I know a lot. I, I I was in the United States military, basic training. Oh, my goodness. What a mess that was. Okay, so we were the last all male squadron, right? 
It was just in our entire squadron, there were no females. It was just all men in that squadron. And soon, sooner or later, it was going to become now, it was going to be like in one squadron, you would have men and you would have women. But at that time, we were the last all-male squadron. It was, it was just us, okay? So, <laughs> we, uh, the, uh, so th- there, was, there was this emphasis that the, the drill instructors, the training instructors, that they wanted to like make a, a point that we were going to be the last like rough and tough and I don't know what they were going to try to make a point. But one of the things that was a part of the curriculum during basic training was this constant drill in your head, integrity, 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 integrity. You must, you must understand the significance of integrity and integrity is doing the right thing when no one is looking. That's what I was drilled in my head over and over in the military. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one is left. You must be a person of integrity or the United States Air Force isn't for you. Oh, man, it was it was talked about nonstop. Now, while that was being talked about <laughs> in class, those same drill instructors, well, they were doing, let's just say, so many things against the rules that I could take the next hour to outline all of the rules that were being broken, all right? They had a chalkboard in the chow hall keeping track of how many women they were sleeping with, even though one of them was married, right? Yes, uh, which is not even uh, against military instructions. Yeah, I could go on. There was just horrific things. And I'll never forget when I got to, I got chose to be end of course a review. So we're going to be brought in in front of these higher ups and we have to answer questions about our experience in basic training. And I never, I'll never forget when I was told, I raised my hand, I'm like, I can't do this. And they were like, why? I'm like, because I'm going to have to tell the truth. And they were like, no, you're not. You're going to go there and you're going to say these words. And if you don't, you're going to be sorry. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to tell the truth. So I got there. And they handed us these papers with all of these questions. And clearly these questions, did you ever see this? Did this ever happen? I'm like, give me a break. All of these things happened. So I remember taking my pencil, laying it on the paper, crossing my arms, and I refused to fill it out. And so everyone left and the instructor said, what are you doing? I'm like, I, I can't fill this out. And he's like, why not? And I'm just like, because this is the biggest bunch of hypocrisy in the face of the earth. Anyone walking by our squadron would know these rules are being broken. And so then I was called back in front of all these colonels and higher ups. And I'm like, and they're like, what? And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I had to, I had to tell them what happened, but like integrity was being preached, but integrity wasn't occurring. You know why? Because people are sinful. So it's one thing to say, look, there's no substitute for integrity. Choose integrity. And that's the way you should live your Christian life. It's great to say that. But the reality is we're, we are not filled with integrity because we are filled with a sinful nature that is that leads us to constant examples of, of a lack of integrity. So, but as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, so, so this is what chapel is going to be. Here's this principle Choose integrity. Now go do that. So now everyone's walking out of chapel. Okay. Okay. Yesterday in chapel, I was given these three rules. Now today in chapel, I'm giving these three rules. And it's rule, rules, 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 rules. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these rules. I'm not condemning the sermon. I'm telling you, my mind was thinking, how many rule, how many sermons where all we do is walk away with more things we're supposed to do? I've preached bazillion sermons like that, hyperbole. I've preached plenty. 
do this, do this, do this. I've done that because you're almost taught that that's what you're supposed to do. But it made me think about this. All right. I, it made me think of this. Christian moralism. Christian moralism. So let, let's 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 just just take a few minutes to, to to investigate this. Moralism is commonly defined as the practice of morality as distinct from religion. A non-religious person who nonetheless lives by a personal moral code can be said to, ha- to hold to moralism. Another more negative definition of moralism is undue emphasis on morality. In this case, the moralist would be seen as a prude, self-righteous, uh, you know, a snob, uh, you know, a Puritan, whatever the case may be, whatever definitions you would like to use. So, But moralism is basically the practice of morality usually seen as being distinct from religion. Here's religion and here's moralism. And someone, and atheists will constantly say, I don't need your religion. I don't need your rules. I don't need your holy book in order to be a moral person. I have my own code of morality and here it is. Okay, and I, under, I understand that. They can have this, make sure we understand this. An atheist can have a system of morality. We could question, do they have a basis for said morality or what is the basis of it? But they can have it. Okay, so there's moralism. That has nothing to do with Christian moralism, has nothing to do with what I'm talking about so far. All right, let's continue. Religious moralism is an emphasis on proper moral behavior to the exclusion of genuine faith. Religious moralism and legalism are similar but differ slightly and that legalism usually refers to doctrinal position emphasizing a system of rules and regulations, often the Old Testament laws for achieving salvation and spiritual growth. Paul warned against legalism in Galatians 3. Moralism doesn't necessarily point to, to any established system. The moralist is free to conduct his own is to concoct his own set of rules and regulations, usually ones he has no trouble keeping, enabling him to feel good about adhering to them. Christian moralism focuses on moral behavior to such an extent that obedience comes before faith and grace is often obscured and practice Moralism begins to look like a lot like legalism. Christian moralists tend to reduce the Bible to a manual for moral behavior, often centering on such passages as the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments. The moralist relies on his moral actions. If he prays, goes to church, helps in the community, then he is good with God. Moralism says that if you don't lie, cheat, steal, cuss too much, then you are a good person deserving of heaven. But the moralist is self-deceived thinking that his good behavior somehow merits eternal life. Now, I know many will say, no, no, I don't hold to Christian moralism because I don't believe I get into heaven because of my good deeds. But you will say, if I don't do those good deeds, then I prove that I'm not a Christian. So in a roundabout way, you are saying that. Hey, I don't have to do these things to be saved, but if I don't do these things, 
then I'm not saved. Therefore, Christianity becomes reduced to making sure I do all the things right to prove that I'm saved. So the whole Christian life becomes nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts, rights and wrong, in order to constantly prove and ensure myself that I'm saved. So Christianity becomes reduced to a system of morality. Moralism cannot replace the gospel. We are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness and grace. Moralism has no power to justify or sanctify a sinner. Now stop right there. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. Does moralism or morals has no power to sanctify a sinner? I wonder... That in the minds of many Christians, inadvertently, maybe not even consciously, we so rely on rules and obedience to those rules to achieve sanctification. Hey, do this, don't do this, 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 do this, don't do this. I wonder if it's possible that we so reduce Christianity to a list of rules in order to achieve sanctification. Now, now I want to make it very clear. I think, I think there's two things that happen because, because I know that in my mind earlier on in my Christian life, I'd be like, well, clearly I'm not a Christian moralist. Clearly not because I don't believe keeping the rules saves me. But I was very much invested in more of a lordship perspective, which I would have turned around and said, however, if I don't do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, if I don't love God's word, study God's word, memorize God's word, love people, do this, do that, pray, go to church. If I don't do these things, it could be an indication that I'm not saved. So I better do these things in order to prove that I'm saved. So Christianity became a never a never ending list of rules for me to prove that I'm saved which in a sense becomes a form of Christian moralism. And then I took those rules and believed that obedience to said rule was was required and was essential for me to, uh, to advance in sanctification. What moves us forward in sanctification? Rules or the gospel? Does the gospel move us towards sanctification or do rules move us to sanctification? Now, you've got to be very careful. I'm not promoting any antinomian idea that we don't need any rules and we can do whatever we want. See, there's always balance in theology and balance is so hard because we are prone to the extremes. What, what moves us forward? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit here again, all right? Moralism cannot replace the gospel. We are all sinners in needs of God's forgiveness and grace. Moralism has no power to justify or sanctify the sinner. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by keeping a moral code, however biblical that code may be. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, Romans 3.20. Pretty well sums up the ineffectiveness of moralism in taking care of the problem of sin. The moralist may receive the accolades of men who appreciate his good behavior. His mantle may be crowded with civic awards, but receiving honor in this world does not guarantee honor in the next. The moralist still needs Jesus. The command to unregenerate sinners is not to be good, but to believe in the Lord 
Jesus. Romans 1.17 destroys the idea that moralism can save us. and the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. External morality can exist apart from the gospel, but that is not true righteousness, which is a product of the gospel. From first to last, God produces righteousness in those who have faith. Now, so we got to be careful right there. When you say God produces righteousness for those who have faith, that almost implies an infused righteousness. I would say God provides righteousness to those who have faith. I don't like the idea that he will produce it. He provides it. The just will live by faith right? Or as, uh, as it says, the righteous will live by faith because by faith, I'm declared to be righteous and I live my life by faith and God continues to provide the righteousness, which is required to please God. If I say he produces righteousness, well, now it's back to, well, I'm a Christian, so how much how much righteousness does God have to produce to pr- prove that I'm a Christian? Now you're back to looking for morality as a sense of proving your faith. And now I'm, I'm looking to practical righteousness to prove the existence of an imputed righteousness, which to me falls completely and utterly apart. Once we are saved by Jesus Christ, or I'll say, or let, me, let me go back to this. The Pharisees were moralist. In John 8, they bring a woman to Jesus for having violated the moral code. They were correct in that the woman had sinned, but in their moralism, they could not see grace. Jesus showed them grace in forgiving the woman, and he advised the Pharisees to focus on their own sin and seek forgiveness for themselves. Jesus cut through their moralism by pointing to them the universal human need for forgiveness. And that the one thing that will destroy moralism is you can focus on, on morals, 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 do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts, do's, don'ts. But no matter how many do's you write down in your notebook, no matter how many don'ts you write down in your notebook to avoid, no matter how many chapel services going say you need integrity, you need to do this, you need to do that. At the end of the day, you're going to find yourself failing over and over and over again. So Christianity becomes a perpetual state of failure. All right? It becomes a perpetual state of failure. And that is the reality of the Christian faith. All right? So let's go through. Once you're saved, Jesus, by Jesus, we are sanctified, made holy, and a continuous lifelong process by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, see right there, I have some issues. That sounds good, but if I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, making me, as they say, as they say, um, making me holy, well, then why couldn't I achieve sinless perfection since it's the power of God in me producing it? So I, I, that, I always have an issue with that. We do not make ourselves holy no matter how stringent or our adherence to a set of moral laws. Now, I think that's We can't make ourselves holy. I cannot make myself holy. God declares me to be holy because no matter how much obedience I achieve, there's always sin connected with it. And holiness is the complete opposite of sin. So I can never make myself holy. When the Bible says, be ye holy as he is holy, 
The only way that is, occurs is my, in my position because of an imputed righteousness, not in practical because I can never, I can never achieve that because no matter how holy I am, it's tainted by sin and holiness is no longer holiness if there's any corruption or, or any corruption or it's tainted in any way by sin. That's not holiness. Um, the Spirit uses the Word of God to sanctify, and continual exposure to the Word produces in the believer obedience and spiritual maturity. By the Word, we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no power in moralism to sanctify the heart. The power to cleanse the heart uh, and grow in Christ lies in the Spirit of God and His Word. Are Christians to live morally? Yes, absolutely. Is God concerned with behavior? Yes, certainly. Can a moral life replace a person's need for repentance and faith in Christ? No. Moralism is no substitute for the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I agree. Now, here's the question. Man, I I didn't know we were going to go an hour here. I thought it was going to go about 30 minutes, but... I want to go back and listen to this, to to review the rest of this sermon. You can go find it again, Sermons 2.0 app, Life Principles, uh, uh, Pensacola Christian College. You can find it if you go to Pensacola Christian College. I think you're you're going to have to scroll down a little bit because they they put a lot of uh, content out. They put out at least a message every day. All right, but here's what I want you to think about this late evening. Inadvertently. Not that we even attempt to do this, but we have a tendency to reduce every sermon, every Bible study, every devotion to basically, hey, do this, don't do this, do this, stop doing that, repent of that, do better at this, work harder on this, come on, come on. And I look, I, I, I know it's easy to preach those kinds of sermons because it's like in many cases the Bible lends itself to doing that. And, and we cannot say that we, we should never preach do this and don't do that because we should. But we have to remember that Christianity is not just a moral system of right and wrong. Christianity is a faith in the eternal God who sent his son to die for sinners to save them because they cannot be moral enough. And in that saving of us, he imputes a righteousness to us. And it's in that gospel of him saving us through his death and imputed righteousness that we then should seek to follow him, not to prove that we're saved, because all the obedience in the world could never prove it because it's always imperfect. And and not only that, you create a moralistic system, but we should seek to obey him out of gratitude, out of love, out of uh, a desire, understanding that his principles obviously lead to a better, a, a, a better life in, in that sense. Because, I mean, we avoid a lot of the horrible things that happen that comes from sin. I just think that inadvertently we just reduce I, and look and it's hard to find the balance I look I, I'm look I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I've got to figure it out because there's times I read the Bible I'm like man I need to do this and I need to repent of that and that's a sin and that's a sin and that's a sin and I don't do that and I should do that and don't do don't there I mean there's millions of rules in the Bible okay when I'm, I'm hyperbole there are thousands of rules in the Bible 
don't do this, repent, do I mean, just over and over and over. So we can't ignore that. So I'm not saying just throw that away. Just remember, in most cases, those rules are to point me to the finished work of Christ, and then I am to rest in his righteousness. And then from that position of rest, perfectly righteous in my position, and because of gratitude and because of his mercy, then I should be motivated to seek to follow him. But the the mere rules and achieving said rules don't sanctify me. The sanctification flows from my faith and my position. I hope that makes sense. I hope. And and again, we got to find balance. I know some of you are going to go to one extreme versus another, and that's always the danger. You, you, like some just, it's it's like rules, 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 rules. Do this, don't do this, do this, do this. If you do that, you can't be saved. Rules, rules. And others are like, hey, just believe in Jesus and do whatever you want. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We don't want Christianity to be reduced to Christian moralism. So what do we need to change in our thinking? What do we need to change in our presenting? What do we need to change in our explaining Christianity to others? Because some people think Christianity is nothing more than rules. And I think a lot of kids raised in a Christian home think Christianity is nothing more than rules. Because so we don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do this. We don't do that. We can't do this. You can't do that. Can't do this. Can't do that. Can't go there. Can't do this. Can't watch there. Don't do this. Don't. And you're like, man, I can't do anything. Yeah, because that's Christianity. And we reduce it to that. And that, that gives them a completely mis- misunderstanding of Christianity. All right. Just... Some thoughts, again, I I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I am not saying Pensacola Christian College is promoting Christian moralism. I'm not saying this sermon promotes it. It just, to me, my mind was thinking, they go to chapel, and what are they going to walk out with? (laughs) Integrity. Be a person of integrity. Choose integrity. Now, And there's some other principles they're going to give, but it's going to be, well, basically do this, don't do that. Does that, does that move us forward in our sanctification? All right. Thanks for listening to kind of a, a late night impromptu discussion that really doesn't have a conclusion because I don't really have a good answer, but it is something I'm going to continue to just work on and, and flesh out and try to figure out what is the right approach because I don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer, but I think there needs to be one. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Someone said, thanks. Well, thanks for listening. I don't know if I really did much. I don't know if I did. <laughs> I feel like I didn't do much. The only thing I accomplished in this was this old iPad, Siri has, has been turned off. So that's the only thing I accomplished tonight is I turned off Siri, okay? But I, I don't know if I really fixed this concept of Christian moralism. I don't know if I... I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I came with any answers, but thank you for listening. Right, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening, and we'll be back on the air live tomorrow. I don't know, throughout the day, doing different things, and uh, then back Sunday morning, Victory Baptist Church, back to the book of Jude, Romans 9, and uh, Matthew 24, uh, probably Sunday night. That's, that's, that's the plan for Sunday, so hopefully we'll accomplish something in all of that, and hopefully... My sermons are not just simply reduced to 
Christian moralism, which probably millions of times they have been. So uh, what? Yeah, I've got a lot to figure out. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.